Hey guys, it's Mom Taraj, the podcast about being a mom that thinks that most mom stuff is super boring. So we created our own posse. I'm Ashley. And I'm Carrie. And we are ready to walk you down the red carpet of motherhood. Oh my God, one year. One year. Can you believe it? In one way, this has been the shortest year, and in every other way, it has been the longest year. You know what's really hysterical? I think we only recorded two episodes in person. Yeah. This has been a completely virtual year. Isn't it crazy? Wow. I do not like the word surreal, but I think it might apply here. Yeah, I know. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. It's your anniversary, too. Thanks for, for either sticking with us this whole time, converting over from our other podcast, brand new listeners. We just are so shocked that anyone gives a shit about anything we say. That is uh, facts, my friend. Truly, facts. truly. This is a labor of love. We love talking about stuff that other people don't talk about and yep. finding community, especially when we're all lonely as fuck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, kind of like how you always talk about, because, you know, we've done so many interviews at this point on so many other shows. Not to, I forget sounded, what we talk about. Oh, are you named? Oh, there's so many. Animals. I know. It sounded so carry of me. But I know. every time we talk to people, it almost always comes up how Scary Mommy really helped Carrie in her postpartum journey. And I really think that Mom Taraj's first year of Mom Taraj has just like really, really helped me in <laughs> the COVID journey and getting through this really hard year, really, really hard year. And I mean, I remember when we first started recording this, I was working on Legendary. Yeah, that was stressful. Yep. That was an ass kicker in a whole other way. And now this is literally the day that that job ended. We all went into lockdown and it was just like, oh, 2020, you bitch you. (laughs) But I am very thankful to our show, to our gumption for starting the show and not letting the man keep us down. That's right. I'm proud of us. I'm really proud of us. And I know that Carrie said her thank you. And I just want to say thank you to you guys for trusting us and for listening to us and to coming apart, being along for this ride. You started to say coming apart. Thank you for coming apart because we have come apart. (laughs) You know, you guys, this show is not just for us, although it is incredibly therapeutic for us, it's for you because otherwise there's no point in doing this show if we don't have you guys. So as always, you know, if there's anything you want to do, you want to hear us talk about, anything you want us to explore or shout out, we're always here. We are totally accessible. You know, there's emailing at momtrashpod at gmail.com. You can DM us on Instagram at momtrashpodcast. Just hit us up. We love you. We're lonely. Reach <laughs> out. Oh, anyway, God. we have yet another gangbuster show for you guys today. Today we are talking with actor, director, author, and mother Elizabeth Rome. Plus we are talking all about the nugget couch obsession and how it's going real dirty. And like we said, it's our one year anniversary, bitches. So we have a little treat. Ashley and I will be interviewing each other. Yeah, we're really excited about it. So I have zero questions prepared. Ready? And as always, we have our hashtag swag bag. And up next, Ashley, the tits and the shits. Oh, man. Want to go first, Ash? Sure. So my tits are, I'm in Pleasantville right now, which is always my favorite. For anyone who has not listened in the past, Pleasantville is what I call Matt's family's house in Delaware. It is like a, a community that 
elderly. God, that sounds so bad. People in a different phase of their life. Yeah, retirees live in, although it is not just for those people. Anyone can live here. That just happens to be what it is. Down the street from our new president and his house. And it is just so peaceful. I am in the back room looking at a lake while we record this. A pond. I guess a pond. Lower, slower. No masks because you don't see anybody. You know, obviously when we see people, we wear masks. Most importantly, my son is playing with other people and I don't have to really parent him. It's great. Oh my God, that is so amazing. Also, my new closet arrived. It has not been built But we're just closer to finally making over the chaos. You know, I'm very type A and I'm very anal retentive. So mess and a lack of organization drives me up the fucking wall. It is like it's grating for me. So, um, yeah, I'm just excited for that. I just got my Ikea order as well. Mm. Also, it's for my closet. So probably after this podcast is done recording today, I will be um, living the both Ikea hell and dream of putting together the damn furniture. <laughs> what is it? Well, what did you get for your closet? My closet is like pretty yeah, well built. Done. Yeah. But, you know, I got that vanity and I had some like leftover furniture that I was putting the other stuff for my vanity, like all my hair stuff mm. and like, you know. Oh, you got the drawers. Yeah, yeah. We don't have bathroom storage in any of our bathrooms here. So kind of like all the stuff that you would normally store in the bathroom has to be stored in other places. Well, you know, my girl says... My girl Kathleen, who's been on the show, says you should not keep your skincare products in the bathroom. Like, we have zero storage. So it's like hair care, blow dryers, combs. Like, there's just not space, like cotton balls. There's not space for anything, like Advil. So I just got some temporarily using something that just was, like, mismatched. And so Lee and I just wanted to get a more, like, you know, peaceful. It's like, it really is like my sanctuary in there. So, yep. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do with my closet slash my office. It's just, I just want it to be my space and I'm very excited for that. That's a pro of quarantine that we've had time to do this. Yeah, I've been able to like, my house is still, you know, we bought our house and it was in complete disarray, but my house has really come a long way in this year because not much else to do. And I don't want to buy clothes for myself because I don't fit in the stuff that's in my closet. God, I can't even talk about it anymore. I just can't, I can't even do it. Well, I'm just saying I'd rather spend that money on house stuff. Right. And so what's your shits, boo? I don't really have any shits. I mean, everything's been fine. Like, I, you know, I know when we set out, we were like, oh, highs and lows of the week. But like, there were so many weeks and months of just and lows. a year of lows <laughs> that like, I'm trying to take the opportunity to really celebrate that there's just tits right now. Yeah, I'm not really nothing. Nothing bad's really happening, guys. Good. God bless. Yeah. Jeez. How about you? You have your closet situation. Right. I guess my shits are that but um, I've been having like crazy hip pain. Like, I don't know what, I mean, old is mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Two is I got a Peloton and evidently there's a lot of like Peloton based injuries <laughs> based on. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. It's like repetitive movement, you know? So I thought that I would not be prone to that. This is going to be the most boring freaking conversation you've ever heard. <laughs> I'm bored and I'm Happy telling the story. Anniversary. I thought I would be like immune to that because I do yoga so much. Like I yeah. struggle constantly like I teach two to three classes a day you also are that person this here's a fun fact 
about Carrie. Carrie is that very strange person that like just starts stretching in the middle of a conversation with you, like leg over her head. And you're just like, I literally was just talking about a salad. I don't need to see your vagina right now. Right. That's why I'm saying like, I, I'm like Jen Shaw showing right. vaginas. I like, I know the pitfalls, but I guess it's just like repetitive or whatever. And then this is appropriate for mom podcast. I'm still postpartum two years later. And I had just started to like get on my healing journey when COVID happened. I was starting to really see after so much physical therapy, I started to really, you know, feel good about yeah. my body. I don't mean skinny. I just mean like literally like feel okay yeah. in my body. Confident. No, not healthy. even that, like able to walk without pain, oh, like that okay. kind of thing. But then COVID happened. And so I had to stop all physical therapy. It's a combo of whatever, all the shoveling, the Peloton, not having physical therapy. I'm like in a lot of pain. Like I bought a TENS machine and I have my Theragun. And I swear to you, everybody, you know, I had my best, shoulder like, injury last week. I've spent in a long time. I've been borrowing my dad's and it's a godsend that I'm thing. just like nonstop electrocuting myself and or using a massage gun. Have you been using a, mus- um, a muscle rub, by the way? Because that was yes. the combo that really knocked out my shoulder issue. Hashtag swag bag early on. <laughs> Press pause CBD slash muscle rub. Oh, right. That's I tough. mentioned them on the show before. Has been 100% a game changer. Hmm. So that helps. I slept with it last night. But anyway, that's my shits. That's what I'm going to start with. My tits are, one, today is a beautifully sunny day. After so much snow and like gray skies, it's improving my mood. And the other thing is I'm just not to be maudlin, but I'm so incredibly grateful for all of my girlfriends with whom I don't have to do a lot of work to stay friends. I just cannot upkeep all the things. And so if you're a high maintenance friend, I'm probably not going to be able to be friends with you (laughs) for much. And so I'm so grateful for my friends that weeks can go by and I can text or call and it's like no time has ever passed. Yep. Those are the best kinds of friends. Yeah. And there doesn't need to be apologies. It's like our friendship has already been sealed. We can just pick up the phone and pick up like it never stopped. Yeah. And just with Valentine's Day, I had a couple like beautiful interactions with some of my girlfriends who are just like that, that understand the daily grind, understand we can't always be as present in each other's lives, but when you really need it, we're 100% there, like ride or die situation. That's nice. Last week, I had like four experiences that made me just so grateful for that. And so my my tits are just like good long-term support system friends are the best. Yeah. Good. That's it. That's so nice. All right, guys. I'm eating a cauliflower pretzel. Here, guys, here's in case you want some SMR. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Okay. We're now on the TikTok, guys. The Tickety Talk. And we have a private Facebook group called Momtourage Squad. Um, you can find it on our Facebook page, the separate group. Uh, we are just building that. So please tell us what you want to talk about. We have some ideas. But yeah, look for us there. We have a new episode of Momtourage Live from Your Couch coming at you tomorrow, Thursday, February 25th. You can find it on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Momtourage Podcast, or on our YouTube page. Links on our website and in our Instagram bio. It's going to be a fun show, jam-packed with some surprises and just a party, an anniversary party. We're trying to figure out what we're doing with the live show. It's looking like it won't be an every week thing any longer, but um, when they happen, they're going to be a party. Awesome. Ash, do you want to do the rage story this week? Sure. Guys, if you don't already know, we put the rage 
in motherhood, as to your partners, as to your children, as to your neighbors, your in-laws, your parents, you name Who them. Who doesn't put the rage in motherhood? Truly, everyone does. Everyone has a hand in your rage in motherhood. And we want to hear your rageous mom stories. Today's comes from Linda. She writes, hi, ladies. I came across your podcast after you were the guest on Take It or Leave It with Meredith and Tiffany. I love you guys. I've listened to all your episodes and I'm now caught up. Well, thank you, Linda. I was thrilled to hear you're taking emails from listeners regarding their rage moments. I have several like every other mom. The one that gets me the most is when your kids, mine are two girls, ages six and eight, start fighting and I ask them to walk away or stop and they don't even hear me. They'll look straight at me, but keep on. In the majority of the cases, their dad won't step in to help. This makes me completely lose my shit. Thanks for letting me share, Linda. Linda, girl. That reminds me of you with Matt. (sighs) That's exactly what I was going to say. My husband loves to undermine me around our child, and it is a constant struggle. It drives me crazy. I hate it so much. And now my son gets involved when Matt and I will have an argument, and he'll either be like, Dada, you not nice for say that, or he'll tell me, Mama, Dada, not bad guy. And I'm just like, mind your business, child. Get the hell out out of this. Know your place in the world. So we feel ya. We're sorry to hear that that's such a raging moment for you, but we're going to send you a little swag. So hopefully that'll help you out. And also, Linda, thank you so much for listening to us. You know, we really value each and every one of you that listens to the show. So if you want to share your rage story with us and get some swag for doing so, you can call us at 201-677-2428 and leave us a voicemail so we can play it on the show. Or if you prefer to remain anonymous, you can also email us at momtouragepod at gmail.com or slide into our DMs on Instagram at momtouragepodcast. Our next guest is Elizabeth Rome, District Attorney Serena Sutherland on Law and Order, and a million other huge, huge shows and films like American Hustle, Miss, personally one of my favorites, Miss Congeniality too. And she recently acted and directed the Lifetime movie, The Girl in the Basement, out on February 27th. She is a girl that evidently loves true crime as much as I do. I am such a true crime-aholic. Plus, she is a mother and an author, and we are so absolutely glad that she's here. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Oh, thanks. I'm glad to be here too. So your new film, The Girl in the Basement, is a lifetime ripped from the headlines film, meaning it's inspired by true events. Watching it, needless to say, I was very uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) And it was mostly because I just, I, I couldn't believe that a father was capable of doing what Don did. How much of this story is actually true? The the hardest part of this is that it's not only true in one instance, it's true in a multitude of instances. And and so, unfortunately, um, it was inspired by many different stories. There were some that were more significant to me than others, um, but I didn't write the script Barbara Marshall did, who's also a producer on the film. You know, my desire to tell this film, this story, was to tell a story about incest, to get into the difficult difficulty of that, and to really hold a mirror up to it, much like Precious, you know, much like any film about abuse um, and have the integrity to really look at the family as complicit, not with um, sort of an accusatory point of view, but more from the point of view of how can we avoid this in the future? You know, what can we do when we recognize abuse in our own households or in our own relationships so that we can avoid what happens when we ignore 
those telltale signs, which is a monster can grow out of how we don't hold people accountable. Right. And the portion about Chris and Sarah was, was Chris totally made up? I, I, I really just wanted her to have some kind of happy ending in the world. So that's why I'm... Again, it, this was not about one particular case, but it was important to me that there was a story of hope at the center of this and that the triumph of the human will, much like the Viktor Frankl book, is the spine of the film. Every story is a love story, right? It's the love of her children. It's the love of herself that keeps her alive. It's the love of this person. She has had innocent, beautiful love, and it's something that she holds on to. But much like Brie Larson in, in, in Room, you know, Stephanie Scott, I think, truly portrays uh, the triumph of the human spirit in spite of the circumstances. And she raises those children with love and she creates magical moments and she holds on to the magic in her own spirit through this love for Chris. And that was important for me because it's horrific enough to deal with the topic. You know, but how do these girls, how do these women, how do these boys, how do survivors of this type of sexual violence, imprisonment or incest, how do they survive? How do they hold on to their souls? Yeah. Character does. And those are the people we want to inspire because there are people right now, especially during COVID, where abuse has been on the rise, mental illness is on the rise. Um, and an organization like RAIN, which is rape, abuse, incest. It's on a national scale. It's the largest anti-sexual violence organization we have in this country where their their phone, unfortunately, is ringing off the hook because of COVID. So if anybody sees this that's experiencing anything like this, then they have an outlet to, to hopefully dig inside themselves to survive, but also reach out to others to help them survive. You've really made a true crime career for yourself between Law & Order and directing this movie. Were you always a true crime junkie or did you just sort of fall into the genre and find yourself there and tell me a little bit about that. I was also, I was on Law and Order as well. It suited me fine uh, because I've always loved true crime. My dad was a hostage negotiator. So we, it was like crime and that kind of thing was in our daily uh, conversation. But tell me a little bit about that. No, I don't think so. I don't think true crime has been a great passion of mine. I think that the human experience has always been what's compelled me. And therefore, I think the fight between dark and light, good and evil is so analogous to uh, that experience that we have as human beings. It's so easy for us to almost fall off the edge and, and the humanity that it takes to to stay in the light and not fall into a dark place in our lives takes tremendous strength. So the human experience is what interests me. Um, I do come from a legal family. My dad, though, is a lawyer. So I am interested in the legal aspects. I'm in interested in the way this government and this country runs and the Constitution was established. But um, no, I think through Law & Order, I've become much more interested in understanding crime, abuse, murder, things of this nature. And I continue to stay in that true crime space just because I guess at the end of the day, I mean, it is the ultimate, it's the ultimate narrative of the human experience. It's also, a, I think, an important story that needs to be told as a storyteller for people who can't tell their own story. Yeah, absolutely. And to just understand like the degradation of, of those kinds of characters and to try to illuminate it, like you said, bring it into the light. So people who are experiencing abuse, that we are their voice. All storytelling is giving a voice to those that are voiceless. 
Earlier, you were talking about how every story in this has an aspect of a love story and the story of the mother and her children and how it how you foster a parental relationship in an environment like this. Why was this aspect of the story, specifically, you know, the mother with her children, why was that important for you as a mother, as a woman to tell? And how did you keep yourself from really going to a dark place when telling this story? Well, I think we did go to a dark place. I mean, you know, living in a basement and reenacting those 20 years of her life. But I was more interested, I not more, but also interested in the psychology of Jolie Fisher's character and the psychology of Judd Nelson's character, because ultimately, where does that sort of that monster come from? And one of the places it grows from is the lack of accountability that Jolie Fisher as his wife allows to happen. Meaning if you are experiencing abuse, which she had, the fact that she doesn't hold him accountable or protect her girls from him is on her. And why does she do that? And the psychology of her character, her need for love and why she turns the other cheek. The more she turns the other cheek, she's allowed for this to happen. You know, again, I don't think that um, she knew she was in the basement, but I think that there are moments where I wanted the audience to understand that she knows something is wrong about him and with him, and she still chooses to ignore that. And only for an infinitesimal moment does she even confront it. And it's too late. You know, it's too late. And she's allowed this to happen. And I think that the topic of familial abuse and ancestral abuse, generational abuse, I was trying to also tackle in the world upstairs with Jolie's character. Tell me a little bit about your journey to become a mother. My journey to become a mom was a hard one because I discovered that I had fertility issues in my early 30s. I was a blogger for People Magazine for a while, and I had kept my infertility story secret. I was ashamed, I think, and I was encouraged to be ashamed, I think, by culture um, that we have broken bodies if we can't have babies, if we can't get pregnant, if we don't have children, you know, what's wrong with us? And that's just such an old narrative. And I, I decided to come out about that and talk about the journey to become pregnant because I felt like, you know, let me start the conversation because I know I'm not the only one. And I, if I do the math, I can pretty much, you know, point out people I think did not have miracle babies at a certain age, but they sought the help of science and doctors to have their miracle babies. And why is that a negative conversation? and why should we avoid that? And also wanting to help the reproductive generation of women coming behind us to be empowered because information is, is knowledge is power and wanting to say to them, if you want to have a career, if you want to find the right person, if you want to do everything, but you also want to be a mom, you're going to need to have some facts. And for some reason, these facts are being held from you. It's not reflected in your gynecological appointment. They don't ask you that. Um, they don't ask you to check your egg reserve or your fertility, you know, your hormone levels as they should if they were advocating for us. And so I wanted to write about that and then wrote a book called Baby Steps. That was about that. Being a mom podcast, mom show, we talk about IVF, we've talked about people's fertility journey. People are often very moved by authenticity, by the honesty, the frankness in these conversations. What was it that was the hardest part? Was it what you just said? Was it the the societal um, opinions and restraints on everything? Or is it was it something else that was really difficult for you with your journey? Well, I think I was really lucky because I ended up talking to a mentor. They said, hey, 
girl, you're not that young. You're not as young as you think you are. I was, I think, 32. And uh, they told me to go check my reserves and all these things that nobody was telling me about. He had missed being able to have a child with his wife because of her age. And so he empowered me to do that. And because I did that, I actually became what I would advise every woman to become, which is an advocate for their own health. To sidebar, my mom died of a massive heart attack at 60. And I work with the American Heart Association and it's Heart Health Month right now. And so women knowing that one out of three women will die of a heart attack, we have to be our advocates. We have to say, I need rest. I need to take care of myself. I need to exercise. And the same thing with fertility, but I was empowered by a man and I'm so forever grateful to Jim Keyes for sharing that information with me. And so I did go, I did get lucky. I was young enough and I harvested enough eggs and made enough embryos that I was able to have one pregnancy. I put four embryos in. I did two rounds of fertility drugs, but I got lucky. In a sense, it wasn't uh, so arduous to have infertility, but it was more that I felt because of my infertility, because of my disease, that I was stuck having to make a decision to be a mom at a time when I wasn't 100% making, wanted to make that decision. You know, I still wanted to work on my career. And anyway, and I did. It just was unfortunate. I think knowing that you have any disease of any kind, infertility, infertility is a disease and it needs to be treated as a disease as opposed to, you know, this percentage of women with broken bodies. I mean, that is just so archaic and not true. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think facing all of that and, and having to teach myself that there was nothing wrong with me, that I had a disease as opposed to, you know, I was just one of those out of luck women who couldn't really make a baby naturally, you know? My family has a lot of fertility issues. It is an illness. It's not just people who wait a long time to have a baby. Like many people in my family were in their 20s and they still could not conceive. It's not a disease of the busy and wealthy as many people have decided to call it these days with people who are choosing to have IVF. I think that talking about it is really an important part of the process. And even if someone does choose to have IVF, it's none of our business. It would be nice if the medical industry, the right wing, saw it like that instead of covering Viagra. I know. Expensive, incredibly expensive fertility drugs that both men and women need. Yep. They have the disease of infertility. Right now, as you can tell, I'm wearing a beanie on my head. It's super hard for us to get glamorous these days as moms who are quarantined at home, trying to be productive and and, and kill it and be on camera. Um, What's the most challenging thing you find? I'm going to use the word Hollywood as like just a broad, broad term. What do you think is the most challenging thing for you specifically being uh, not only a woman, but a mother in this business? I don't know. I mean, it's sort of the gift and the curse, right? You just have less time for everything. So, you know, making time for yourself, you know, really having a deep sense of self and really um, self-care, I think is so important for our health. Um, But also I learned from my daughter how to get things done much faster, you know, having (laughs) less time to work and less time to prepare for a character or less time, you know, there's just less time to do everything. And so I think she has made me masterful in organizing my life and and that balancing act. But I would say carving out that time for yourself. I mean, I think, again, you know, heart disease, a lot of that oftentimes comes from self-neglect. Yes, heart disease can run in your family. It doesn't mind, you know, also from stress and so forth. So I think the balance of all of that is just remembering that you are important. Without you, there's nothing. You are life. You created life. Your family needs you. Your, everybody needs you. So you have to take care of yourself. That's advice I could hear a million times because I, I forget it all the time. <laughs> Alluding to earlier in the Law & Order franchise, it was actually my first audition out of acting school. I booked it and I was like, oh, acting is so easy. <laughs> 
<laughs> Cut to didn't book another job for like 10 years, but you know, that was my first big job out of college. <laughs> so I have some super duper important questions to ask you about um, these Dick Wolf productions. So first one, Sam Waterston or Jerry Orbach? Oh. It's hard. They're both so good. Sam Waterston. Got it. Jesse L. Martin or Benjamin Bratt? Jesse L. Martin. Chris Noth or Ice-T? Not really quite the same comparison, not equally, but you know. Chris. And the last one is Mariska or Christopher? Mariska. I agree. Love I love Mariska. She's lovely. We have one fun little game for you. Are you up for a quickie little game? Sure. I'm not the funniest girl I know, but <laughs> I'll try anything one. That's my mom. <laughs> All right. You don't have to be funny. It's just fun. It's just a fun game. It's We're calling it, was it Law and Order or Once in a Lifetime? So basically, we are going to give you the plot of either an episode of Law and Order or an episode, or I'm sorry, a Lifetime film, and you just have to guess which one it is. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Over the course of a single day, three unconnected homicides occur, which are inspired by the Lorena Bobbitt, Son of Sam, and Zodiac crime stories from the Law and Order. Yes, you're right. (laughs) The episode was mayhem. When a friend's prank on a bookish college student scores her an invite to a party, she finds herself seduced by the glamorous lifestyle of a crew that turns out to be a pimp and his associates. The glitz gets the best of her, and the broke star forgoes the standard library or cafe gigs to instead try her hand at high-class prostitution. Oh, that could be sure. That could be Law and Order or Life Lifetime. That is the Lifetime film Coed Call Girls, starring Tori Spelling. That's right. I was gonna say. <laughs> After a mass murder of five female medical students by a crazed gunman, it's discovered that a gun manufacturer didn't put preventative measures in place to prevent the gunman from making the semi-automatic weapon a fully automatic gun. Law and order. That's right. Gun show. (laughs) Dun dun. When a man takes on the Russian mafia after he linked the death of a baby food company account with Law and order. Yeah. All right. You got it. That one's called Old Friends, in case anyone's uh, keeping track. When a dead body surfaces at a friend's hair salon, a style columnist is on the case. Despite being ruled a suicide by police and the coroner, associates of the dead stylist... Law and order. No, it's lifetime. Killer hair. That's the best <laughs> title ever. Uh, that had to have been made a long time ago. This is the last one. On November 3rd, 1984, 17-year-old Lisa McVeigh was abducted by a serial killer. In order to survive, she develops a relationship with her captor. Eventually, she negotiates her own release, but when she returns home, neither the police nor her family believe her. Like, Lifetime. Lifetime. Believe me, the Lisa McVeigh story. (laughs) Believe me, the rip from the headlines, classic Lifetime. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for coming and spending a little time with us on Momtourage. Please, please plug yourself, plug the film, plug everything. Just tell all the people where they can find you and anything you want to plug, including Heart Disease Month, the whole thing. Okay. All right. Well, thank you guys. Thank you, Momtourage. I appreciate you guys so much. Please come check out Girl in the Basement on Lifetime, 8 p.m. Pacific time. Check me out on my Instagram live at um, Elizabeth Rome with an S and check out my Lunch with Liz live IGTV chat that I do and go to www.therespectproject.org to learn more about the respect talks that I host and um, moderate. And um, yeah, let's just keep the good, the good narratives going. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time. Best of luck with the film. It's it's really important for everyone to see and um, enjoy your day and get through quarantine as best as you can. Take care of yourselves. Everybody needs you and loves you. Thank you for this interview. Thank you. Thank you.
So the next thing I want to talk about, and we're just going to be brief about this because we've got some hotter shit up with our interviews of me and Ashley. I don't know why I'm using this voice. It's so obnoxious. Probably, unless you've been living under a rock, you've heard about the Nugget Couch. The Nugget Couch is like this foamy transformer style couch with zip covers that you can change. It kind of got hot a couple months ago. My friend had it before it got hot and now you're like have to be on a waiting list. I've been wanting one for maybe like two or three years because they're not cheap. They're like two or three hundred dollars for the the sofa. Uh, Yeah, that's what I wanted it originally for. But the whole premise behind it is like it comes apart so that you your kids can use it to build forts. You can reconfigure it a bunch of ways. It's super like flexible in its use. And it's cute. Like it comes in really nice colors. A lot of the colors are like coveted. Like you're like, oh, do I want cactus or Merlot or whatever? I don't know. Exactly. I think cactus is a real color. Merlot is not. So Anyway, there was an article in, I think, R29, uh, Refinery29, about the secret underworld of Nugget couches. And so I read this article and was like, what? And so immediately (laughs) got on my mom groups and was like, hi, guys, I'm doing some investigative journalism and want to know if you know about the Nugget After Dark groups. So I infiltrated a couple of mom groups, some Brooklyn mom groups and some Montclair, New Jersey mom groups. And there was like mostly, I would say 95% of resounding, what are you talking about? What are the nugget after groups? But of course I have a nugget and I love it. Nugget after dark, which I tried to get into. I got into a secondary nugget after dark group, but word on the street was the original nugget after dark group, which is like not safe for work. Hot, 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 which I'll talk about, has since gone private and they're not accepting any new members. It is my duty to try to get on this group just to report back to you guys here on Montrage. But anyway, it is basically how the nugget is kind of like the liberator sex right. pillows. How the wedges right. are really Those good. wedge ones. Right. And how somebody has made like rubber sheets that fit the nugget so that you can have your good time with your partner after your kid goes to sleep. So at first it was like sex. What do you need rubber sheets for? Just change your sheets. Just throw them in the wash. Well, no, it's not that. It's just that the covers, they don't they don't want the covers to get dirty because they want to like take it off and let their kid play on it. I know. I guess. Get it, but why does it have to be rubber? Rubber is like what I imagine you kill someone on. Well, also piss and shit. Right, exactly. Exactly. Listen, it's an after dark group, Ashley. (laughs) Don't judge. People are into different things. Also, maybe I guess, you know what, maybe a regular sheet. Candles. Well, the regular sheet it's just gonna go through. Right, it would sink. I would just like put on like a like a pea sheet, like what I have on my comforter in case someone I pissed myself (laughs) and I don't want it to ruin my expensive mattress. Anyway, PS. That's gonna be my hashtag swag bag. You get yourself a water. Waterproof, an expensive. Anyway, okay. In hashtag swag bag. All right, all right, all right. I'm like extra swag bag today. So anyway, at first it started off with like positions you can do with your nugget for like good sex. Then it turned into a straight up naked pictures of people on their nugget slash key party swingers situation. Uh And this nugget after dark group got real world dirty. People looking to swap partners, do like cam girl stuff, but parents with nuggets. Ah, cam girl stuff, meaning like there were cam girls who have nuggets and wanted you to watch no, it? like, hey, we're a couple. We want to have a voyeuristic 
experience with another couple. Huh. Well, Dana, we know that Dana B. Myers is like, that's how she suggests you, you know, tiptoe into that world. Yeah. I mean, I'm not anti it. It's a cam girl. Yeah. No, I mean, it's not my thing. But it but all I think started on this kid's own. couch website, which is what I think is incredible. The other thing I just want to say is nuggets are like extremely pricey and there's a waiting list. And there have since been some dupe couches for the nugget that people say are kind of comparable, actually. Really? I mean, I think it's kind of cool. I've always liked the idea of certain things like that. But I was always like, a wedge pillow seems so impractical. Like, what do you do with it when it, you're not like, on it? having sex on <laughs> it? And also, how do you explain it to people who may be in your room for whatever reason? Well, only if you have kids, you can be like, it's for my kids. Right. But like... What if my parents go in my room? Do I want to be like, this is my sex pillow accessory? You know what I mean? Like, they listen to the podcast, so I don't have one, just full disclosure. You just make it like like it's like a wedge for reading. You just some, say something like that. Or you just keep the pillow in your closet. Well, it's kind of like people with stripper poles, right. right? Like, you can't hide you have a stripper pole. Everyone who goes in your house knows now that you have a stripper you pole. You can just decorate it and be like, it was here when I bought the house. We just put garland on it now. Um, okay, so <laughs> Fomnasium Bloxy Kids Cow. Fomnasium is the worst name I've ever heard for a company. Totally. How much do they want for that bad boy? Uh, that is one fifty nine. So oh. incredibly cheaper. What's how many star reviews does it? Pretty have? good, actually. Cushy couch two ninety nine. Um, that's about the same price as the nugget. I don't know. I'm gonna be the naysayer here, and I don't think it's that attractive. I think it looks like a kid's couch. Yeah, it does look like a kid's couch, but I think it's good for a kid's space or like right. But if people are putting it like room. in their living room. Yeah. No. That's a whole other kind of thing. I mean, I mean, I'm into it. Like my friend has twins and she got it before it was really crazy off the chains popular. And it was yeah. really helpful because like there were so many things that were difficult to do with twins, like feeding them at the same time that she yeah. used it as a whole, like prop them up as t- infants, put two bottles in their mouth at the same time kind of situation. Yeah. And then it is now a couch in their playroom and they make for it. So it's like something that will grow with them. Sort of like the skip hop jumper thing that turns into the table. Right. That we both have. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to buy one thing, but it's going to grow with them. So I sort of feel like that's the case. And it's good probably for sleepovers. But these people are doing the same thing with that, that instead of the couch growing with their children, it is growing with their sexual appetite. I mean, I kind of want to buy it just so it becomes a sex couch and not a kid's couch. You have to have sex for that to happen. I know. But will it inspire me to have sex? If sort of like the Peloton, it's so expensive. I just feel like I have to do it all the time. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Actually, that's a that's a great thing. But in that case, you should start wanting to have sex in the morning. I think so. And also, does anything sound worse than having sex in the morning with props? Oh, God. I need like, I need like five cups of coffee. Oof. Yeah, it is not, it is not prop sex. That's for the nighttime. Morning sex is just like, I'm rolling over, just stick it in. Let's get this shit over with and move on with the only day. prop I want for morning sex is coffee. Uh, yeah, and a toothbrush. Right. <laughs> Guys, tell us. Do you have a nugget couch? What color? Is it desert? Is it cactus? And do you use it for yeah. fucking your partner? I don't care what color your couch is. I want to know if you're having sex on your couch. And is and it worth if it? If you are, is it worth it? How is it changing your sex life? Is it like part of the taboo is like your kid's going to play on it later and that like later when you're playing with your kid, you can remember? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Gross. I'm into that actually. Really? Yeah. And also, do you belong to the actual nugget after dark group? And can you get me in on it? Send us screenshots. Ashley, should we interview each other? Sure, you start. Okay, because you can't think of anything and you're just going to steal all my questions. Yep. So the next segment is an interview with none other than Ashley Heron-Smith, mom, content creator, on-air host, 
talent booker and one of my best friends, podcast host. Oh, God. Producer. Producer. Reality Bravo Liberty. God, can you imagine one day? God, actually, I am a Bravo Liberty because I was on that one episode. I mean, technically, I was on an episode of The Hills, so I'm a Hill, I'm an MTV Liberty. I don't know. We are just Liberties all around. And by I was on an episode of The Hills, I mean, like, for literally a second. Doing what? Robbie Lee, whatever, that woman that they worked for, for, I guess she was the head of Elle. Um, It was when I was working at Martha, and she had a fashion show on Martha because we would do a lot of, like, on-air fashion shows. I was the talent coordinator so I had to take care of them when they were there so there's a shot of me walking her in and checking her in and then that's about it that's where it ends but it does say like Ashley I think on the Chiron and also I forgot to add to your bio daytime Emmy award winner that is true Ashley Heron that's true Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for those credits. You're welcome. Ashley, it's so great to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You know, I've been a really big fan. Really? I'm so glad. I have just been dying to come on the show. Well, I'm so glad to have you. Uh, Working with your publicist, it was really hard to find time to get you on the show. I'm Terry Hatcher. I am my own publicist. (laughs) It's true. It's true. JK, when I have money, I am absolutely going to outsource that. I'm so tired of working only for myself that I just want to funnel it out one day. So, Ashley, tell me, what inspired you to start producing your own content from Hudson 60 to booking for Scary Mommy and Momtourage. What inspires you and what made you start doing your own thing? So it started before Hudson County 60, in all honesty. I was a talent booker, junior talent booker was the last title I had when I was at Wendy Williams. That job was so kind of soul crushing, that one in particular. I, my whole life wanted to be in front of the camera and did, you know, I was a performer my whole life. That job and hating it was basically like, uh, time to go after this thing that you've been too scared to go after. You know, I did it for a year professionally in New York before I moved to LA. But in that year, it was a lot of things aren't working out. You know, I'm getting work, but it's not work I want. It's not work that I'm like proud of. It's not work that I think is like really showing off my abilities and my talents. It was at that point I had read a play many years ago. Oftentimes on New Year's, one of my resolutions is to read a play a week. But then, you know, after about a month, I fall off. What a theater kid. Well, because I didn't have like a real theater degree. You know, I didn't go to a conservatory. I went to some summer programs. I was a performer my whole life. So a lot of my theater stuff was taught over summers or self-taught. Yeah, if I never read or saw another play again, it would be too soon because I had to do so much of it. Right, exactly. So I wanted to be, you know, for me, it was like, I, I think to be an actor, you don't really need a degree, but I think just like any other craft and any other skill, you have to work on it. So I had read a play many years ago that was called The Pizza Man. I've talked about this in when we've done interviews before. So many interviews. Oh, I know. I'm really sounding like you this episode. I know. I love it. It's like we're reversing roles. (laughs) And basically, long story short, there was a character in there that really spoke to me and I had actually auditioned for the part in other productions, not gotten it. And I was like, I'm fucking tired of waiting around and I'm just going to create this for myself. I put on the show for a weekend, made enough money so that I could pay back my investors, my parents, pay the people who were a part of it. I was really proud of that. I moved to LA. I was severely depressed 
in LA. So that was kind of like three years out of the whole program. But when I came back, it was like, I'm not going to fucking wait around. I don't want to, no one is, I'm not Jennifer Lawrence. I'm not getting like the ice storm or whatever that movie was anytime soon. I can't even get an agent. And I had kind of fallen out of love with acting. And I knew that my real true love all these years, the thing that I never really thought I could make a career out of was celebrity gossip, was being on the inside of knowing what things are being made, how things are made, talking about that, telling people my opinion on it. And I was like, I want to be a host, but I can't get any host gigs because I don't have it in my resume. So I just created my own work with Hudson County 60. And that's just really what it is. My whole career has been a lot of, all right, this isn't working out. Let me create it for myself. And let me self-fund it. Let me not ask everyone for money, which is another thing I have a real issue with, but that's another conversation. Yeah, we've talked about that before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what it that's what it was. I get tired of waiting around and I'm a type A. What do you think is your strongest talent? I'm fearless in taking chances. I'm actually not at all fearless. I am very fearful. I have a lot of anxiety and a lot of things scare the shit out of me. But I hit a point where I get tired of waiting around and I get tired of the bullshit. And it, it's like, I don't know what that whole process is beforehand, even though I've lived it a zillion times, but it, it happens with everything. I get tired. I feel beaten down and I get tired and I get tired. And there comes a point where I just say, fuck this. I'm doing it on my own. I like to believe it will fully pay off one day. I think it's starting to. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think I think it started with Scary Mommy paying off. And then this, you know, like this was a fearless move on both of our behalfs. Um, I'm so glad I did it with a partner I don't usually. It's great. What do you think is like your least favorite characteristic about yourself or like the your weakness? <sighs> Yeah, on the same token that I am fearless, I am very fearful and very anxious. I would say my absolute weakness, and it is something that I've talked about on the show and something that I'm working on, is standing on my own two feet no matter who the person is. You know, like I'm very codependent on my mother, which is something I'm really trying to break. She's breaking. She's done a lot better than I have. In doing that, I'm trying to make sure that I don't then transfer that codependency onto Matt because I just want to stand on my own two feet. And I actually do think I'm getting better at it. But, you know, that comes from a place of fear and that comes from a place of insecurity and I'm a work in progress, I guess. We all are, Ashley. Yeah. What do you think my biggest issue um, who is asking the questions, Ashley? Okay, all right. Well, I wanted input. The questions. Who is, I just said, who's asking the questions? Also, the fact that I smoke on and off is a big issue. I wish I had never started smoking cigarettes. This is my big public declaration. I wish I had never started smoking cigarettes because it is something that kind of controls my life sometimes, a lot of times, and um, I hate wow. it. Yeah. Public declaration here on the yeah. anniversary episode. Um, <laughs> Mandara! What's your favorite thing about Matt? Ugh. There's a lot of favorite things about Matt. This is so egotistical. You know, they say that you attract a kind of mirror image of yourself. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. I'm just saying. Okay. Listen, okay. you know, we all attract certain things. What I'm trying to say in that is he is ambitious in a way that I very much respect and I love. I feel like he is so hyper intelligent. He's like so intelligent in some ways and then like just such a dumb fucking guy in other ways. You know, like the way that guys are just fucking dumb, he's dumb. (laughs) But like when it comes to real, like he's emotionally intelligent when he wants to be. He is somebody who can talk about 
essentially anything when he's in the mood to, but with me, he's generally in the mood to. I say that because a lot of people meet him and they're like, he's not very talkative. <laughs> I find him talkative, but that's because he we know each other now. Right, right. But I just think he is creative and smart and supportive and I just believe in him and his abilities with you know how you meet some people in your life and you're like this is gonna happen for this person there's no way this doesn't happen for this person Mm -hmm. he is one of those people like there is no world that I believe everything he wants isn't gonna happen for him oh that is so sweet yeah I love him. Don't tell him. I think he knows. Sorry. (laughs) I'm pretty sure he knows. What is your favorite movie? Mm, I have a few. I love When Harry Met Sally so much. So, 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 so much. I also love Breakfast at Tiffany's, which makes me such a basic bitch. So basic. And that's okay. So basic. That's okay. I just love it. And I love the New York aspect of it. I love, you know, loving it when I was younger was for another reason. And now it's kind of this other reason, but I really love that movie. In terms of like stupid, fun, mindless shit, I love Wedding Crashers a lot. Oh, that is a fun (laughs) movie. Yeah, and I like Clueless a lot. Which is also pretty basic, but, you know, I have those parts of it. Guys, what we're revealing today on the one-year anniversary is that Ashley is the most basic bitch that ever was. I am very basic. (laughs) I am. I really am. I acknowledge this. What is your fashion go-to? Jenna Lyons. Like, person or style? If you really want to feel stylish and you don't have a lot of time, like, what is your your go-to feeling good hack? But I'm with you with Jenna Lyons. Like, I agree. Yeah, that's like my ultimate. A good fitting pair of jeans, either a white button down that's not terribly tight that just like fits me well or a black turtleneck. And I really like like a double breasted blazer. I usually throw on either a neckerchief or a beret. You know, it depends. The And the bones of the outfit can take you daytime or nighttime. And then the accessories kind of like change based on things. So either a neckerchief or a, a beret. And the shoes I, are either like a nice like loafer, something like that a pointy toe or ballet flat or a like fun fucking heel. Although after all of this, I don't know if I'll ever be able to wear heels. Again. Will I ever be able to wear real pants? I have no idea. Yeah. I'm starting to feel like an animal that's going to have to be reintroduced to the wild. I'm already having anxiety about it. I'm like, maybe we'll just stay this way forever and I'll just find yeah, a new like, normal. I accept this reality What's now. the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you? Okay, so I peed myself in sixth grade in khakis. Ooh. That was pretty embarrassing. So basically, we were doing the miracle worker. My school is a very small private school, so we would do plays at the nearby public school. And it was in a classroom. I don't even understand the whole backstory. I was totally new at my school. I had just moved up from Miami. I was wearing khakis. And my like first sketchers. question is, why khakis? Because that was in in 1996. Was it? I don't, I was never into khakis. Yes, khakis are always in. You know, it depends on the fit and all that other stuff. But also your mom buys your clothes at that age for fuck's sake. So I was wearing a pair of khakis and the rumor was that this corridor in this school was haunted and you know nothing scares me like ghosts and we were playing like hide and seek and the thrill of like ghosts being around play you know played into it and then somebody scared me and I pissed myself that's embarrassing yeah that's embarrassing anything else you want to tell the people and feel free to plug yourself (laughs) (laughs) you can find me on my show momtourage tell your friends who work in production about us and tell us that they should give us a show that's my plug all right Ashley your turn sorry I sucked ladies and gentlemen Parents who listen to our show, please welcome our first guest. She is a mother, a partner in multiple ways, a great friend, incredibly (laughs) (laughs) self-confident. 
<laughs> an accomplished actress who gave Jesse McCartney his first on-screen kiss, a producer, a yogi, and actually, truthfully, the greatest yoga teacher I've ever... And my mother also taught yoga for a very short amount of time, but you are the best yoga teacher well, ever. Well, don't tell Soledad, Jesus. No, I would tell her, just like when she cooks, she generally makes the best food, but I'll be like, mm, you know what? This person's potato salad was better. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's rare that it happens, but when well, it happens, I do it a I lot more than Soledad. So, you know... And that's the other thing. You've been doing it for years. Hers was, her career was very short-lived, but you are a fantastic yoga teacher. And my girl... Carrie Cetera. Oh, thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for coming. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. Such a dream. Longtime listener. So tell us, you know, I always want to know the hot goss. So what was it like kissing Jesse McCartney? First kiss. We would rehearse because for those of you that are not familiar with soap operas, it comes out every day. Firstly, shame on right. you. It comes out every day. And so you really only get two to three takes, three takes tops of any scene because you have to shoot the entire episode in one day. So there's usually some uh, rehearsal that goes on amongst the actors, unless you're Susan Lucci. There's, <laughs> she does not rehearse. But no. the other actors, like while we're waiting in hair and makeup or whatever, we will get together and run lines and practice or whatever because we're only going to get one or two takes. Only the like mega stars get three takes. Jesse McCartney, who was a very young man, he was underage at the time, probably could go to jail if it wasn't on television because I was like 23, 24. He was like, do you want to rehearse? So we started rehearsing. He said, so um, do you live with your mom? Because he didn't know my real age. Because another thing about soap operas is that- What was your real age? I think I was like 23 or 24. Okay. And he was like 15. Mm, 15 gross. 15, 16. So another thing about soap operas is like, don't ask, don't tell policy. So, you mm. know, obviously the people who cast you know your age and your weight, but you don't ask because there's right. a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes as far as like older people not wanting to know how old they are, you know? He right. didn't know. I mean, all he knew is I played a 13-year-old on the show. He might have actually been 13, actually, now that I think about it, but I played a 13-year-old on the show. Ooh. I was like 23, 24. He's like, do you live with your mom? And I go, no. And he goes, oh, cool, you're emancipated. And I was like, you could say that. <laughs> totally not realizing at the time that he was actually how young he was at the time. Mm. So I was like, you know, you could say that. And he's like, at the time I had like a, um, a Blackberry because, you know, it was the time. Because that's what people had right. at that I had point. a Blackberry and he's like, oh my God, is that your phone? And I was like, yeah. He's like, you get to have your own phone. I was like. Oh, he was definitely 13. And I was then. like, well, when you pay your own bills, you get to get your own phone. He's like, oh my God, you're emancipated. That's so cool. And <laughs> then I was like, then we rehearsed and he didn't want to rehearse the kiss. And I'm just like. I'm like boned three guys yesterday, three different guys yesterday before the show. <laughs> and we finally get to the actual scene, which was actually kind of a, a weird scene. It was weird in a couple ways. One, um, I was wearing jean short overalls, which God bless is one of my favorite looks with a bikini underneath it. The best. And a lot of the other girls that were playing girls in their 13, you know, that were 13 were also older and had like full on bikinis. I played the nerdy girl and they had like, I learned then that you paint your abs on in daytime television. So they had their abs painted on and the stylist, this is one of my prouder moments. I'm only saying this to make myself feel good, guys. The stylist was like, oh, we don't have to paint your abs on. You're actually like really fit. And I was like, oh, nice. thank you. And all the other girls were like, <laughs> suck it. Get fucked. 
fuck you. <laughs> so anyway, I like had my little outfit on and it was going to be like a bikini scene plus a first kiss scene. So it was like very loaded. Financially. Yes. <laughs> we yeah. kissed. He was like all flustered and then we had to do it again. Afterwards, I found out it was his first kiss. And he also right after that found out what my age was because he asked another cast member. How- he was like, ew, I just kissed my mom. <laughs> he asked another cast member how old I was. And they were like, I think she's like 23 or 24. And he was like, <gasps> thank God he didn't know ahead of time because poor guy could barely hold it together. Here's a girl in a bikini giving him his first kiss on camera. And he's a hot little kid now. Grown man. Yeah. Not kid. Yeah. He's like a Disney star. But he this was before he was a Disney star. So anyway, then he found out my age and he was like, all other like girlfriend, boyfriend scenes we had to do after that. He was so nervous after that. Meanwhile, I'm like a cougar, you know, and I was a cougar for a long time. So I guess that really sealed my fate as a cougar. What? is one thing you wish you had known when you started your career? You know, it's weird because what I think made me successful, I think is also my downfall. Which is? Which is, I have genuine belief in myself and I also am very cocky mm-hmm. and I didn't want it. You know, you know, they always give you the old spiel. If you can do anything else, do it because you have to want it like no one else wants it. I've never wanted it like no one else wants it. I'm just like, I'm good. I'm going to do it because this is what I'm choosing to do. But if I choose not to do it, I'll be good at whatever else I do. And I think that's what made me successful because I was never desperate. I stood up for myself and made the choices that I wanted to make. But I think I was also considered difficult in some circumstances to work with because I just wasn't malleable. You know, we're now yeah. learning like, you know, the Lindsay Lohan and the Britney Spears trying to be a personality or a actor or whatever, a musician, a female young in the 90s and the early 2000s. It was not kind for girls yeah. to stand up for themselves. No. And I just always did. And so I think it made me successful, but I was not willing to do a lot of things that probably would have furthered my career. And I definitely know because I had a manager that it made me seem difficult. But then I was just like, well, then I won't do this anymore. And that's what ultimately led me to like leave the on-camera acting business because I just was like, I don't want to play the game like that. That's, I guess I don't want it that bad. I'm not willing to make certain personal sacrifices to do these things because I I know that men don't have to and I honestly don't believe in it. So I'm just going to do something else. So I guess it's a weird question to answer because some things I probably could have been a little less feisty about that would not have gone against my personal being. And there's other things I'm really happy that I was so feisty about because it saved me from being like a fucked up, damaged actor. Would you say that those things are also your strengths as a human? As like a person, not just an actor? Yes. But also I know that I'm like a a spicy meatball. And so I'm trying to learn in in my older years that you don't have to put hot sauce on everything. You get more bees with honey. Right. It's the thing I'm most proud about too, but there were a couple opportunities that now looking back, I'm like, could have been a little less spicy there. And maybe that would have been a real career changer. Although everything, ha- I'm a real firm believer in everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And I wouldn't be where I was today if I had made different choices. So what's your biggest regret in your life? There was this one circumstance. It's like a totally boring story, but I, the soap opera had gone really well and I had been written up in uh, like soap opera digest and a couple other things. And so, and I had a boyfriend. Oh, you know what I would tell myself? Just don't put all your attention on boys. That's what I would say. Amen. That's what I would say. I think we should all tell our younger versions of ourselves that. And my mom tried doing that for me and I just didn't listen. That would really truly honestly be, and don't ever give a man your money. No. Don't do it. I've done that too many times in my 
passed. No, 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 no. So no. I had had a little bit of, I was getting a little juice here on the East Coast. And I decided I had a boyfriend that lived in California at the time. Does that mean cocaine? What does juice mean? No, like I had been getting like a bunch of really big jobs. And I was okay, like up, write-ups. Yeah, and, and I was in so proper digest. And like things were starting to really cook here. And I had a boyfriend that lived in Los Angeles. And I would go spend, you know, some time with him. So I'd talk to my agents and said, I'd like to spend a little bit of time out in LA for pilot season. I'm going to be down there for Thanksgiving break. Do you think you could set up some meetings for me? Because they didn't have a West Coast affiliate. So they, right. they sent up some appointments. They went really well in my, I mean, you never really know, but they were really jazzed about it. And they're like, cool, we'll call you on Monday. So Thanksgiving went, Thanksgiving weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I was waiting to hear back from my agents to see if I should delay my plane coming home to take more meetings. And I didn't hear. So I had actually had a personal relationship with my agent. I don't mean like sexual, just that I had interned for her and become her friend. I would like walk her dogs for her or whatever. So I had her phone number. And so I had left a message on the office line and hadn't heard anything. Called her personal line because I had keys to her house, you know, like I was like that close. And I was like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm supposed to get on a plane on Tuesday. And I just want to know if I need to um, change my flight. Like evidently the meetings went well. They said there was going to be a second meeting. Of course, I understand they could be blowing smoke up my ass, but I just kind of need to know if I need to change my flight now. And I didn't hear. And so I came back went to go meet with my agent. I was like, hey, no one ever returned my call. Like, what's up? And they're like, well, you think that you're a little big for your britches. And I was like, what? Like, I had not. And they were like, yeah. Because you called her cell phone? No, she didn't mention that. She was just like, you think that you're going to go out for policy? And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You set up these meetings, number one. And I said this to her who I guess. Shouldn't you want me to be like. (laughs) Right. But I guess I also should have like. I don't know. Like, I just, I'm always like, I don't care who you are. I'm going to stand up for myself. So I was like, excuse me, you set up the meetings. It doesn't behoove you. I'm not moving there for having me to have a really great pilot season. You're getting a commission anyway. And again, I was like a 23 year old girl coming into this like very famous agent saying this. Right. So I guess they expected me to be like not as bossy or whatever. But I was like, listen, if the answer was they didn't want to have a second meeting, just call me back and say, it's fine. Right. It's not about that. But like, return my call. I needed to know. Yeah, and like, I, that's just common decency. We're in a business partnership Right, and together, I thought it went well. But also, I also know that the business is the business. I've never been, I've never thought anything different. I know how it is. Right. And she dropped me. And I had been working pretty consistently. And that was the best agent I have had to date. And <sighs> after that conversation, she dropped me. And she called my manager, who I'm still friends with, and was like, I'm done with Carrie's attitude. My manager, who's lovely, was like, hey, I love your attitude. And I think it's going to get you far. But this, unfortunately, was unfortunate. I don't know what happened, but this is a bummer because she, she was doing really good work for you. I feel like this story is like missing a part Me or too. because it just doesn't make any sense. Which is what I kept saying. I'm like, am I missing something? I kept being like, if I said something to you or did, I sent her flowers. I was like, like, really, am I missing something? Huh. And I never, ever found out. Wow. It was just one of those things. And I've had a couple of those experiences where I'm just like, am I living in a different reality? Am I more than an asshole than I thought I was? Like, what did I do wrong? I still don't even know the answer to that. And it feels like a weird alternative reality. But maybe if I'd kissed more ass and not, I do know that I hound my point into the ground. And maybe that's what I did. I was just like, you should have, maybe I just hounded my point into the ground and it wasn't really about the thing, but how I handled it. I don't know. Huh. Okay. If you wrote a book, an autobiography, maybe you have a ghostwriter, however you want to do this. What would the title of your book be? Oh God, I used to have like five different working titles uh, that I had written down and I don't remember them anymore. I promise it's all true. I don't know, but I think my working title would be... Actually, that might be the best thing for you. Yeah, I promise it's all true. Because there are stories to this day you tell me and I'm like, I don't believe I you. promise it's all true or um, you can fact check this. 
I like I promise it's, it's I promise all true. it's all true. Are you there with vodka? It's me, Chelsea. It's maybe one of the best titles yeah, ever. Really she good. really stole that from all of us. But yeah, I guess I promise it's all true. And Judy Bloom. Yes. Because I've had so many weird things happen to me that it definitely yeah. doesn't seem true. Most of them. If you were on a deserted island and somehow you have the technological capabilities to watch just one thing repeatedly, it can be a movie, it can be a series, it can be a music video, but you can just watch, you know, and the parameters are wider than that. That's just what I thought of. Just this one thing repeatedly, what would it be? Ashley, this is a really, this is a Barbara I know Walters style yeah. question. I know. I might say the ghost whisper. Wow. <laughs> like the full series? Yeah. Wow. wow. That might be the... <laughs> Also incredibly basic and the nerdiest thing I've ever heard you say. It serves so many purposes for me. It's wow. a comfort. It's a family favorite. So it would make me remind me of my family. Yeah, a lot of nostalgia. I could just go on and on. I could write a book about the styling of that show. Like the way that you are with reality shows, like the hair and yeah. makeup and costume team for that show. I really could just like go on about the choices that they make, both good and bad. I have deep feelings about co-stars, like the Cameron Mannheim years, and then we have the Aisha Taylor years. Tyler. Tyler. Aisha Tyler years for her like sidekick. Oh yeah, for a very short, like two seasons. Hmm. There's the whole phase where she got a different husband for a little while in true <laughs> daytime fashion where they just justified it for some strange reason. I have real deep feelings about the show. So I think that would be, I think that would be it. I think so. All right. That's a great answer. Thank you. What is the one trait you really admire in other people and wish that you had yourself? Not to toot my own horn. <laughs> Only you. I have every trait I want. No, I. this is a trait that I admire in other people that I've been working really hard to implement on myself because I admire it so much. So I'm trying to do this, is admitting that you don't know something without being embarrassed about it, like standing in your own like knowledge and power and just being like, I don't actually know the answer to that. I don't know. And is there somebody who has that trait that you're thinking about specifically or that you admire for that? No, I just noticed that a lot of people I admire will do that. And I don't see them as weak. And I think that I've always thought it was weak. And then to see people that I respect say it, standing in their power like that, I think it's one of the most powerful things you can do is to say, I don't know, and not make apologies for it. Yeah. And so I'm working really hard to do that and not just vamp or yeah. talk around it or circle talk or whatever. I can't think of anyone particularly that does that, but people that I honor admire and think our powerful people do that. And so I've been working harder to say, I don't know. That's great. That's yeah. a really good one. Thanks. What was the one thing as a kid that you knew you wanted for your life? It can be a career trajectory. It can be whatever. It could be a house. Like what is the one thing? It could be a quality, like what, whatever it is for you. So I have two little things. The first thing is that I, from a very early age, I think it was like first grade, a teacher asked me to draw what I wanted to be when I grew up. And then she would write whatever I said, because you know, you can't like write a right. full sentence when you're in first grade. And so I drew a lady with red lipstick and animal print and she had a bird on her shoulder. <laughs> and I said, I wanted to be egg centric. And I spelled it E-G-G, egg centric. And I firmly... This is still what I want to be. I think you accomplished it. I want to be eccentric. And she said, what does eccentric mean? 
And I said, it means you get to do whatever you want whenever you want. I firmly still, minus the bird, I want to wear leopard print, uh, red lipstick, and I want to do what I want when I want. I'll take the bird. There you go. So that, and then also one time said that I wanted to be in the New York Times when I die. Mm. And the teacher sent a note home saying that maybe I need to see a therapist because I was talking (laughs) about dying. And my mom said, well, did you ask her why? And they were like, no. So then like they took me to like child therapist and they're like at school or whatever. And they're like, why? And I said, because I want to do something that is so important that I'm remembered after I die. Still to this day, I just want to make an impact. It's so much so that the New York Times would write an obituary about me. I can understand that. So I still hold true to those two things. Like, I don't know what I want to do half the time, but I do know that I want to be eccentric. And I do know that whatever I do, I want to have enough of an impact. Maybe I get written up in the New York Times when I die. Those are great. Okay, last question. Yeah. What is your greatest fear overall? What is the thing that scares you to your core? I guess dying alone, like truly alone. Like I think it goes back to like making an impact so much so that I I really am considering becoming a death doula as a job. Oh, God. Jacqueline used to do that. You should talk to Jacqueline. I should. Sounds I know that. very depressing. See, I don't – everybody says that. Lee and my mom are like, why would you want to do that? I actually don't find it depressing. I think that to help someone transition and not be alone and have kind of scope and peace in their final days is one of the best gifts you can give somebody. I just think we live this whole life trying to help people maybe or try to have friends or have fun or make whatever. And then so many times at the very last moment of your life, people are alone. Ideally, you're alone because you've outlived everybody because you've lived a long, rich life. But I just don't think anyone deserves to die alone. I think my greatest fear is maybe I don't really have that many fears dying alone and I do have a little bit of a fear of like dying in a fire yeah that sounds pretty scary I have like weird fire fire walk with me I just used to have like terrible nightmares about fire when I was a kid so I think like dying in a fire and specifically like dying alone otherwise I don't really have a ton of fears I try not to live with too much fear I've decided that question was too morbid to end on so I'm gonna end on this okay (laughs) (laughs) what is the one life lesson you want to impart on Luna. No worries. That's that nice. Most of the shit that we worry about, it, we just shouldn't worry about. That's nice. There's only a very few things that we should worry about. Well, thank you so much for coming and joining me on the oh show. Oh my God. Thank you so much, Ashley, for having me. Anything else you want to leave my listeners with? You see what I did there? I said my yeah. listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Montage <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> Our livelihood depends on you. We work really hard to give you the content that we need. And Ashley's show is very important. So please rate, review, and subscribe it. It's so important. Life-changing. Life-changing. And also, like, talk to people that you don't know as if they're your friend already. So, like, when when things open up again, like, don't dismiss the people that make your life amazing. Like, the person that brings you your coffee, the person that cleans your house, the person that takes your toll, money, whatever it is. Like, when things open back up again, just treat everybody like they're already your friend, not like someone who's just doing something for you. Yeah. I can't believe that's something that needs to be said to people, but yeah. Hashtag swag bag. All right. All right, let's do it. Hashtag swag bag. I, like probably all of you, have been on the hunt for something that kind of wrangles bath toys and is off the floor and out of the way, doesn't look bad, and also 
succeeds in its purpose. It's one of those things that I've like obsessively looked for for so long and I've bought certain versions and never nothing really ever lives up to it. But I finally bought the Munchkin Hanging Bath Toy Storage with quick drying mesh in gray. It did have some mixed reviews. I read a lot of reviews because I wanted to make sure that the suction cup really works. They were mixed, but I have to tell you mine, I put it up a month ago, it has not come down. The storage part comes off of the suction holder so you can scoop it up. It drains. It is the best. I think it's like $12 on Amazon. It is so efficient. It's cute enough. I can't recommend it enough. This is the bath toy storage worth your $12 that will last you at least a month because that's how long I've had it. See, I did the same thing and I went with a different direction and I actually regret it. That's why, you know, number one thing I hate throwing away money. I will happily spend money if it's worth it. Wasting it really upsets me. I also really just don't want to spend on things that end up in a landfill and were not used to their fullest extent. This really, I've bought some that that was the case. This is actually fantastic. To my defense, I bought it with a different bathroom in mind. Mm. Um, and now we have a, a different bathroom. So I'm going to try to repurpose the one that I have. I got to try to see if I can find another use for it before I justify buying something else. Yes. But it doesn't work. What I chose does not work well in this new bathroom that I have. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll make a purchase based on this swag bag. I think you should. My hashtag swag bag is the Megawise TENS machine. I believe it was, it's under $40. I can't remember if it was like 30 or 39. It's got like a million and a half settings. It's so fucking good. It's so good. Its uses are for so much. It's TENS and EMS, two different kind of waves of whatever it is. I, I don't know. I'm not a scientist, guys. But it it does circulation. It helps with muscle issues, generalized well-being. There's a million and different ways that you can use this machine, but especially with my hip injury, which was my shits, um, this has been a godsend. And Ashley also with her neck injury. Yeah, I had like a weird shoulder neck thing last week, and my dad has it between doing that three times a day and doing muscle rub, like generic muscle rub in between. It was getting worse for three days and then I knocked it out like completely in two days with that combo. So. I'm going to also put the press pause, which has been another swag bag. You should. But those two together, I do the tins machine like when I'm editing the podcast or when I'm like sitting at my desk and then I use the muscle rub before I go to sleep and it's just been great. And that, that specific muscle rub is a CBD plus muscle rub. Wow, guys. What an anniversary show. We had a celebrity, then we had us, and then we had Nugget Sex Tricks. Right. And you know, this is the year of paper, so I'll have to send you some paper, Ashley. Send me the piece of toilet paper you wiped your ass with. Or I'll send you some money. Ooh, better That's kind of paper. paper. Yay. Paper. We're rolling papers. I love that also. Well, thank you guys so much. We love you. Love you. We'll be back next week as we always are. But thank you so much for celebrating this one year with us. And see you tomorrow night at our big old on-screen party. Bye. Bye. Okay, that's our show today, folks. Thank you so much for giving us a listen. Please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We are out here on our own, and these things really, really matter. We want to hear from you. Tell us what you want to hear. Email us at momtouragepod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at momtouragepodcast to hang out with us all week long. We are here for you. You are not alone. We got you. So go ahead, girl. Know this posse is behind you, and go slay. Mom Taraj is written and produced by Ashley Heron Smith and Carrie Sotero. Recorded and mixed by Lee Mars. Our theme song, MILF, is by the band Mama Drama. 
You can find them on Instagram at mamadramaband or mamadramaband.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.